In the morning davening, right after Birchot HaShachar, we say a Yiratzon. Yiratzon Fenecha, Hashem Elokeinu Ve'elokei Avotim. May it be your will, Hashem, our Hashem, Hashem of our forefathers, Shetargileinu B'Toratecha, B'Tavkeinu B'Mitzvotecha. To accustom us to your Torah, make us attached to your mitzvot. V'altivienu loli de chet, v'loli de avera v'avon, v'loli de nisayon. And do not bring upon us to be tempted to do any type of sin, nor to bring to us a nisayon. This begs the question: What is a nisayon? It's usually defined as some sort of trial test. But those definitions do not really give us an in-depth understanding of the reality of this nisayon thing. This thing that we are praying that we do not want to come our way. Well, let's let's first say what is not a nisayon. It's not when you cannot find your pencil, or you just missed the bus, or when your sports team gets eliminated. Those might be disappointments, but they are not nisyonot. They are part of everyday life. There's a story about a chassid who comes to his Rebbe and asks for a bracha. So the Rebbe says to him, may you always have many problems. The chassid, looking quizzically at the Rebbe, said, with all due respect, Rebbe, what kind of bracha is that? <laughs> the wise Rebbe answers, life is problems. Many problems occur to us on a daily basis and cannot be avoided. What one does not want is to be faced with a given situation, with one problem that is so dire and so terrifying that all his other problems melt into the background. Hence, to always have many problems is indeed a blessing. It is that one dire situation that the Rebbe was referring to, that is Nisayon, in its varied forms. That's what we pray in the morning that Hashem not send our way. Because true nisyonot are difficult. They are things that distract us from our daily routine. They demand of us both strength and fortitude, both in the physical realm, emotional realm, and the realm of of mental well-being. And as religious people, they can even challenge our faith. For a religious person, a difficult nisayon may even chas v'shalom lead to thoughts of, has Hashem forgotten me? Has He forsaken me? Does Hashem care about me? The very foundations of one's emunah may be shaken. If so, it makes a lot of sense that we daven every day that Hashem not bring us to a situation of nisayon. However, the reality of life is that we will at some time probably have to deal with Nisayon if we haven't already. You gentlemen are young, but by the time you get to my age, most people have had to deal with Nisayon. Some of them very difficult and very challenging. No one knows that better than our Creator. And given Hashem is the ultimate just being and wants our good, He would not send us Nisayon unless He also provided us with a template as how to deal with Nisayon. We needed the guidance of Hashem through His Torah to help us navigate and withstand these fierce storms that come into our lives. I believe such guidance may be found at the end of this week's Parsha, Parshat Vayera, where Avram Avinu faces 
perhaps his most difficult test. Perakaf Beit Pasuk Aleph, Vayachad Vimeela, Velokim Nisa et Avraham. After the previous events, Hashem sent Avramavinu a Nisayon. Hashem commands Avramavinu to take his son, his only son from Sari Menu, the one that he loves, Yitzchak. He's to take his son Yitzchak to an unknown destination and sacrifice Yitzchak as a korban ola to Hashem. This is a Nisayon par excellence. Avramavinu, amongst other things, fought tooth and nail against sacrifice of people, child sacrifice, things that occurred in his time, was now being asked to sacrifice his own son. There's no doubt that Aravino, along with Sarimenu, prayed for years and years to have a child. When the child was finally born, there was such great joy and laughter, Tzchok, that this reaction became the child's name, Yitzchak. And now this child was to be taken away. And if all this wasn't hard enough, he was to be killed by Avramavinu himself. Can we even begin to feel the pain that Avramavinu and Sarimenu must have felt? This gentleman is a Nisayon. The story involving Avramavinu Yitzchakavinu, which comes at the very end of our Parsha, Parsha Vayera, is known as the Akedah. The word Akad means to tie up, as Avramavinu tied up Yitzchakavinu before placing him on the altar. As it says in Pasuk 9, Vayakod et Yitzhak Beno, Vayasim al Mizbeach. Avramavinu tied up his son Yitzchak and placed him on the altar to be sacrificed. This parsha, the Yakedah, has become the ultimate story of Nisayon, and as well, as I want to say today, a template of how to face and deal with Nisayon. Avramavinu's personal example became the ultimate expression of faith in Hashem, and the ultimate example of following to the letter of Hashem's commands. And there's a well-known saying in the literature of Chazal, the deeds of our forefathers act as a guiding light, guiding light for us. Those who have read the Parsha are familiar with how the story unfolds. Aravina Yisrael follow Shem's command traveling together, and on the third day of travel are guided to Haramoriah, the holy place that would one day be the place of the Beit HaMikdash. What were the thoughts of Amravinu as he made his way to this eventual destination over those three days? The Midrash may give us an insight. Says the Midrash that the Satan came to Amravinu in the guise of an elderly man. The Satan made a number of attempts to discourage Amravinu from going. And Amravinu rebuffs him each time. Now whenever the literature of Chazal mentions Satan, the Satan, memories from my misspent youth conjure up this fellow dressed in red, with a long pointy tail and a pitchfork. But really, who is this Satan that the Chazal are referring to? I like the suggestion made by the Rav of Meshul, Romer Lichtenstein Shlita, that often a reference to the words of the Satan are really expressions of our own inner fears. If so, this would mean Aramvinu waged his own inner battles during those three-day journey to the Akedah. Our three avot were men, okay, with all the inherent weaknesses of man that can be found in man. But their greatness, from my perspective, lies in the fact that despite being men, they successfully worked on themselves and in doing so achieved unbelievable levels of greatness. And if so, lesson number one about Nisiyon from Marvino is that it's okay. If the Nisiyon challenges us, it is natural that Nisiyon can shake our very foundations, but one must battle those feelings and overcome them, as did Avram Avinu. 
Now let's go on to the Pesukim that describe the critical moments of the actual Akedah. The 10th Pesuk, Pesuk Yud. Avinu took this slaughtering knife in order to effect the sacrifice of Yitzhak Avinu. At that moment, when all seems lost, an angel appears to Avinu, as it says in Pasuk Yudbet, The angel said, paraphrasing, Do not slaughter the young man. The Pasuk continues, You of Ramavinu have now shown beyond a shadow of a doubt your dedication to the will of Hashem. We, the audience, reading the story, all sigh a sigh of relief as Ramavinu passes ultimate test and Yitzhak Avinu remains alive. Now my question to you is, if you were writing the Torah at this point, how would you continue this story? Personally, if I was writing this story, it makes sense to me that now that Ramavinu has passed the test, I would inform of Ramavinu, either through the same angel or another angel, what the reward of Ramavinu will be for having shown this ultimate statement in faith of Hashem. Makes sense. Indeed, the Torah does this in Psukim 15 to 18. Since you have Avino has passed this test, I will surely bless you, etc. And the Psuk can go on to describe the rewards, rewards that Avino and his offspring, i.e. the Jewish people, will be blessed with, thanks to Avino's unswerving faith in Hashem. However, I want to alert you to a difficulty. The psukim I just paraphrased to you, describing the war to Avramavinu for his deed, do not exactly follow on the heels of the psukim, where the angel tells Avramavinu to cease and desist from the sacrificing of Yitzhak Avinu. There are two psukim in between. First of all is pasuk number Yud Gimel, number 13. Avramavinu looked around, saw a ram, whose horns were caught in a bush. Aravina went and took the ram and offered it as a sacrifice in the place of his son. Then we have Pasuk 14, which says, which the living Torah by Arya Kaplan is translated as, Aravina named the place, Hashem will see. And only then, in Pasuk 15, as I said before, do we describe the rewards to Avramavino and his offspring. So my question is, what is the significance of those two psukim in between? Pasuk Yud Gimel and Pasuk Yud Dalit. I mean, first of all, if I, if I was Avramavino, and I'd just been told by the angel, Yitzhak Avino was not going to be killed, I probably would have fainted on the spot, just from the relief from the incredible tension that must he have experienced over the past three days. Or alternatively, I would have danced for joy. But what does Torah tell us Avram Avinu did? First he looked around and saw a ram and sacrificed it instead of his son. Now I don't want to come across as cynical, but it almost feels like Avram Avinu said, hey, it took me three days to get here. I built a Mizbeach. I have all my power tools with me. Let me at least sacrifice something. I mean, what's, what's that about? Secondly, what about the second Pasuk? Why is Aravino giving the place a name? Why, why are you calling it a name? And the third question could be, okay, even if Torah held these two things, the sacrifice of the ram and the assigning of a name to the place, to be significant, why could these two not come at the end of the story? Rather than interrupting the flow between the acknowledging of Aravino's great accomplishment 
And the reward he and his offspring were to receive as a result. To my mind, this suggests that these two psukim play an essential role in this story. In this ultimate Nisan of Aravinu, given where they're centrally placed by the Torah. Given these psukim come before the psukim that describe Aravinu reward, again, I think this is telling us a big, uh, uh, this is a major part of this story about how to handle Nisyonot. There's little doubt that for most people, if not all people except Amravinu, if we were given such a test, and assuming we would pass the test, which is not so clear, the minute the angel said, stop, that would be the end. Huge sigh of relief, great joy, and that would be it. However, this was not a test to the average person, but rather to Amravinu. Already in last week's Parsha, Parsha Lech Lecha, Amravinu was informed that he was to become Av Hamon Goyim, the patriarch of many nations. No doubt, Amravinu accepted this assignment with the gravitas it had deserved and viewed it more as a privilege, okay, more than just a privilege, but rather as a responsibility. Amravinu recognized that a good parent needs to be a lighthouse for his children. By that I mean a living example that gives one's children a clear direction to follow. In the case of Amravinu, the children are all mankind. Avramavino understood that this final Nisayon, this Nisayon that he was facing now, was not just a Nisayon to him, for him, but would serve as a template for all future generations. Avramavino's actions during the Akedah would have the power to serve as a source of strength for all mankind, for those who have to have to learn its lessons. Avramavino knew that the way of the world is that his children would, for all generations, would face Nisyonot, difficult challenges, some of which would be very difficult. And even more so, Aramavino in his wisdom knew that for many of his children facing difficult challenges, some for days, some for months, some for even years, there's not always an angel who comes along and declares the challenge to be over. Not every Nisyon has a happy ending. For some Nisyonot, it's hard, it's difficult, it's hard and difficult to see the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Some Nishinot in this world even have what appears to us for this world a tragic ending. In those two seemingly irrelevant psukim, psukim 13 and 14, Torah shines a light on Avinu and provides us a glimpse into the greatness and the strength of character of Avram Avinu. The moment the angel told Amravinu to cease and desist, Amravinu did not think of his own personal relief, but rather thought, what personal message, what lessons can I bequeath to future generations from this event? First we have Pasuk 13, where Amravinu searched for something, something that would enable him to continue the process of sacrifice in order to signify that some Nisyonot end up with some sort of sacrifice where I use the word sacrifice in a broad sense. Let us note that the ram used by Amravinu as a substitute sacrifice was no ordinary ram. Says the Mishnah Pirkei Avot, 5th Perak, 6th Mishnah, Ten things were created on the sixth day of creation, right before the onset of the very first Shabbat. At the last moments of creation, ten things were created. They were created Benish Mashot, which is the time when the current day has trans- is a transitioning to the next day. The Mishnah continues, V'yesh Omrim, 
Elohel Avraham. Some say amongst these things was this very ram, okay, in the final moments of the creation was created to be used by Amravinu at the Akedah. <coughs> what is the significance of these words in Pirkei Avot? I suggest every item in this list in the Mishnah of Pirkei Avot represents a type of reality <coughs> that Hashem decided to insert into the world that he was creating. In line with what I presented already, this ram represents a world where there are difficult nisyonot. These nisyonot Hashem and his infinite wisdom decided to be part of creation and part of the lives we lead. Hence, we need to understand how to deal with them with all our resources, physical, spiritual, monetary, emotional, as best as possible. Hence, Pasuk 13 defines a critical role in the realm of defining and dealing with nisyonot. However, it's proper to go even one step further than just dealing with the Nisayon. As a way of explanation, we go back to Ravina at the Akedah and now look at Pasuk 14. It is there Ravina gives a name to the place of his Nisayon. As we quoted already, Vaikravraham Hashem Amakom Hashem Yireh. Ravina called the place Hashem will see. What's the significance of the process of Kriyat Shem? What, what, what do we accomplish when we give something a name? In a number of places in the Gemara, the giving of a name is associated with the process of kinyan, of acquisition. By calling the place of his nisayon a name, Aravina is leaving for his offspring an even greater legacy regarding nisayonot. While it is praiseworthy to know how to deal with a nisayon as best as possible, there is even a higher level to attain. There is the level of making an acquisition on the nisayon. In today's lingo, you have to own it. What does that mean from a Jewish perspective when it comes to a Nisayon? I suggest it means we need to learn from the Nisayon. And in doing so, we need to emerge from Nisayon as better and stronger of De Hashem. We need to be better of De Hashem in both the realm of Ben Adam Makom, man's duty to Hashem, also in the realm of Ben Adam Lechavero, one's duty to other people. Hence, these two seemingly extra psukim come to teach two powerful lessons about Nisyonot. The first lesson is we need to deal with the Nisyon as best as possible, even a Nisyon that is continual. And the element of Nisyon was embedded into the fabric of the world already in the six days of creation. And the second lesson is that a Nisyon is not merely something to get through, but rather should be a vehicle for one's personal growth in Avodat Hashem. And these two powerful lessons that I at this critical moment, that's what he was teaching for all future generations. In Pasuk 17, the psukim that described the war to Ravina, it says, Ki barechecha, where the doubling of the word verb, barech, to bless, is, sure, is usually understood to indicate emphasis. I, Hashem, shall surely bless you, Ravina. I want to offer a second understanding of this double lesson. That is, Hashem is declaring that Ravina is twice blessed. One for his own conquest of his personal Nisayon, and a second blessing to Amravinu for having the foresight to use this occasion to pass on lessons of dealing with Nisayonot for future generations. As we said above, one of these lessons is assigning the Nisayon a name in order to make a Kinyan, an acquisition of the Nisayon, as a tool for personal growth. In this case, the Akeda, Amravinu calls the place Hashem Yireh, Hashem will see. Why that particular name? I suggest perhaps is to let those all those who undergo difficult nisyonot to know that 
Hashem sees. Hashem Yireh, Hashem sees. It's not happening to you because Hashem forgot you, or Hashem has abandoned you. Hashem sees. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. Furthermore, Hashem sees. Hashem is not limited to man's limited field of vision. Hashem sees all things for all time, and only He can know the ultimate purpose behind the Nisiyon that He has sent you. Another thought. We brought before that the Mishnah Pirgei spoke of the ram used to replace Yitzchavina on the altar as being created on Erev Shabbat of creation. One could ask, why was this ram created specifically on Erev Shabbat? Why specifically also on Benash Mashot? Why at dusk? A moment of transition from one day to the next. Well, Chazal say in a number of places, such as the Maral and the Sefer Netzach Yisrael, that the moment of greatest darkness comes before, right before the emergence of the greatest light. Indeed, so to in English we have the expression, it is darkest before the dawn. Given the thesis I propose that the Ram of Akedah represents a very difficult Nisayon, it's appropriate this brought to be brought to the world right before Shabbat is about to enter. For Shabbat is the greatest light of holiness in the, our world. By creating this Ram right before Shabbat, a Torah is telling us, despite the difficulty and the pain of the present Nisayon, there is light, a great light, that is about to emerge. One can only imagine the brilliance of the light that shone on that very first Shabbat of creation. As to the general purpose of an Isayan, we get an insight from Torah. In Sefer Dvarim, Parshat Ekev, Perak Chet, Pasuk Beit, it says, Shabira recounts the experience of the Jewish people going 40 years in the desert. The Pasuk continues, Laman Anotcha, he sent you the hardship to test you, to determine what is in your heart, whether you keep his commandments or not. Through the process of Nisayon, Hashem brings out what's in our hearts. Indeed, the Ramban, in his commentary on our Pasha, talks about the purpose of Nisayon. He says, the purpose is, Lotzi davar minakoach elapoal. The Nisyan brings out the potential good of the person into the actual for all to see. Our task is to be strong and to answer Nisyan as best as possible while holding firm in our faith in Hashem and His Torah. Not too long ago we finished a 52-day period of saying the Mizmor, the David Hashem Orivishi. In this psalm, David Melch talks about being besieged by enemies, by men who wish to devour his flesh. Yet he fears not that he places his faith and hope in Hashem. I do not think David Amirach was talking only specifically about physical enemies, but also including being besieged by the nisyonot that life brings. He says he has no fear as he seeks refuge in the house of Hashem. And the Tehillim ends off, Kaveh el Hashem, Chazak v'yamesli becha, v'kaveh el Hashem. Have faith and hope in Hashem. Be strong and courageous, and have faith and hope in Hashem. Why this repetition of faith and hope in Hashem? Perhaps the first phrase represents the general default of a Jew, to have faith and hope in Hashem. But that faith and hope can be challenged by the nisyanot that we face in life. Darmir tells, Be strong and courageous. If we do so, and whether the nisayon, without losing our faith and hope in Hashem, the reward is, el Hashem. Our faith and hope in Hashem will be raised to a newer and higher level. Indeed, within the word Nisayon, 
is the word Ness. When we hear the word Ness, the first thing that comes to mind is miracle. But there's another meaning to the word Ness. It means a banner. Indeed, we say three times in our Shemun three times a day in our Shemun Esrei, Hashem will carry a banner so as to gather the Jews in the exile back to Israel for the final redemption. So one who courageously weathers a Nisayon does not lose faith. One who, who learns the lesson Nisayon is one who carries the banner of what it means to be a true Eved Hashem. A military commander who needs someone to carry out a difficult mission that must succeed only sends his best soldiers. So too, the greatest Nisayon Hashem sends only to his best soldiers. Hashem is the ultimate injustice and fairness will not send you a Nisayon you cannot handle, as difficult as it is. Hence the question, to the question, why me? The answer is because Hashem regards you as one of his best soldiers. He has chosen you to be a banner, a banner carrier in Avodat Hashem. Luckily for us, we have a role model in Avram Avinu. He set the tone for all generations to follow. Yirat son, may it be that whatever Nisayon Hashem sends our way, that not, not only will be able to muster the kohot, the strength, to deal with the Nisayon in all its aspects, but also be given the wisdom to understand the lessons to be gleaned from the Nisayon so as to grow and rise to a greater level of Avodat Hashem and carry the banner of a true Eved Hashem.